The stories in this book have been told and retold, cherished and revered by literally billions of people over thousands of years. People have devoted their entire lives to studying this book. There are hundreds of thousands of commentaries on it. And many people believe that this book had to have been written by God. The Torah, what's so special about it? Why is it so mesmerizing? And how has it managed to capture the human imagination for millennia? I'm David Kasher, a rabbi at Ikar in Los Angeles, and together we're going to study the weekly Torah portion of the Parsha and figure out why the Torah really is the best book ever. Hey everyone, welcome to a special Passover edition of Best Book Ever. I'm reporting to you live from the Middle East. I'm in Israel for Passover, which is where the best book ever says I should be. This is one of our three pilgrimage festivals, so I guess I've made pilgrimage. And I have to say, after the last two years of pandemic, not being able to travel, it really does feel that way. Like, for the first time in my life, I I had some understanding of what it's like to long to come to Israel and to be unable to. Some small sense of what our ancestors have meant when they said for hundreds of years at the end of the Seder, the Shana Haba Yerushalayim, next year in Jerusalem. So you may have noticed there was no Best Book Ever podcast last week, and that's not because of my travel plans, but because there was no Parsha. The Parsha, which we follow on this podcast, is the weekly reading from the Torah, which we read on Shabbat. There are 54 readings every year, which is based on a loony solar calendar. This tradition goes back to the days of Ezra the scribe, who started the public Torah reading in the sixth century before the Common Era, and then it's developed over the centuries until Maimonides finally recorded the standard set of readings that we follow today. Now, when Shabbat overlaps with a holiday, we take the week off from that cycle. But we do read from the Torah. There's a special set of readings from the Torah that is chosen for the holidays. Now, most of them make sense. They're exactly what you would think they would choose for us to read. So, for example, on Shavuot, the holiday when we celebrate the giving of the Torah at Mount Sinai, we read chapters 19 and 20 from Exodus, the account of that, that revelation. And on Yom Kippur, we read the description of the very first Yom Kippur ceremony, which is in chapter 16 of Leviticus. So, what do you think we would read for Passover? I mean, the whole book of Exodus is the story of Passover. So do we start at the beginning? Or maybe read about the 10 plagues? But it turns out our reading is taken from chapter 12 of Exodus, which describes the very first Passover, the one that took place in Egypt before they even left. Now, that makes sense. Just like Yom Kippur's reading is about the first Yom Kippur, so Passover's is about the first Passover. Seems pretty straightforward. But what's interesting is that chapter 12 of Exodus has 
two descriptions of that first Passover. First, God tells Moses what to tell the people to do. Most importantly and famously, they're supposed to slaughter a lamb and put its blood on the door. And that way, when God comes through with the 10th plague, the death of the firstborn son, if there's blood on the door, God will pass over that house. And that's where the holiday gets its name. Then, God says, this will become a holiday throughout the generations. It'll be seven days long. You'll eat matzah all week. That's the Passover we know. And there it is, straight from the mouth of the Almighty. And then, in verse 21, Moses calls all the elders of the tribes together and explains Passover to them. And he says, Mishchu v'kuhu lechem tzon l'mishpachotechem v'shachtu et ha-pasach. Go and take yourselves a sheep, one for every family, and slaughter the Passover offering. Basically, he repeats most of what God has just said. Moses told the people what God told him about Passover. Okay, fine. But what's a little surprising is that this is where the Torah reading for Passover begins. Not at the beginning of chapter 12, with the actual first explanation of Passover, but instead, there in verse 21, with Moses gathering people together to tell them about Passover. Now that's kind of strange. I mean, don't, don't we want to hear God's version, the original version? Why do we skip that and read instead Moses' retelling of the majestic and perfect words of the Lord? Now, I just called it a retelling, so maybe you can already see where I'm going here. But first, let me give you an extra clue that I think really taps us into why this is our Passover reading. That verse that we just read, remember, says to take a sheep, one for every family, mishpachotechem. That's the standard word for family, mishpacha. But if you go and look at Rashi's commentary on the verse, he says that that, the family, means one sheep for every ancestral house. Beit avot. It's sort of an odd kind of explanation for what family means because we know what a family is. And this phrase, Beit avot, is less familiar to us. Now, I wouldn't have noticed this except that at the beginning of the chapter, I came across that phrase, Beit avot, because that's actually the language that God uses in the original commandment. Take for yourselves a lamb for every beta vote. And I didn't know exactly what that meant, a beta vote. It's literally a, a house of the parents. We use that phrase actually in modern Hebrew to refer to a nursing home, a beta vote. But what did it mean here? So I went and looked at Rashi's commentary there, and guess what he says it means? A beit avot, he says, is a family, a mishpacha Now, how does he know that's what it means? Well, because that's the way Moses explains it later on in the same chapter. It's the same content, same message, but a slightly different wording. So then, when Rashi gets to that verse later in the chapter, he's just making that connection again, saying, remember, what Moses is calling a family is 
the same thing that God called an ancestral house. We weren't sure what that meant back then, but as Moses repeats the information, it seems, he uses simpler language, language that the people will understand. Now, why are these two little interconnected commentaries by Rashi so important? Because we're seeing that even in the Torah itself, even in the midst of one chapter, there's translation going on. As Moses retells the Passover that God has just commanded, he tells it slightly differently so that the people will understand it. They don't speak with God directly and they don't know God's lofty language. What's an ancestral house? But they know what a family is. Moses is telling them about Passover for the first time and already he's telling it in a new way. And that, I think, is why this is the line that the Passover Torah reading starts with. Not God's telling, the first telling, which you would have thought would be the most significant one, but Moses' telling, which was the first retelling of Passover. Because that's what Passover actually is. It's the retelling of a story. And in every retelling, there's a retranslating a reformulating, a reinterpreting of Passover that's done with the new listeners in mind so that they understand the story and the laws and the rituals in a way that makes most sense to them. That's what we're always doing when we celebrate Passover, when we sit down to tell this story all over again. We all have the same Seder with the same words in front of us, but we have to figure out how to present them in such a way that they're heard and understood and internalized by the people we're sitting with at that table in that moment in that generation. That's why the Passover Haggadah itself speaks of telling the story differently to four different children. We have to use different words, emphasize different things, translate it differently for every new child who's hearing it for the first time. On Friday night, I sat down to have Seder with my family here in Israel, with a particular gathering of people that I had never had Seder with before. And there were kids there, cousins of mine whom I had never met before, who had been born during these last two years of the pandemic. And there were also kids there, other cousins, who I had met before, but who were just now old enough to understand the story for the first time. And so we told the story for them, to them, with them in mind. And we told it as simply and clearly as we could and with as much excitement and fun as we could so that they could understand it, so that it would mean something to them. And so that maybe, hopefully, they would internalize it. And so we told the story a little differently than we ever had before. And so we tell the story differently every time we tell it. That's what we're meant to do. That's what Moses did, even that very first time, just after he had heard it for the first time. And so he translated it for them, because every telling is a translation. And every translation is an attempt to communicate something we heard to someone else who needs to hear it a little differently. One day, God willing, my little cousins will tell the Passover story to their kids. And that Seder will be completely different than our Seder was but it'll also be exactly the same. They'll tell the same story, but they'll tell it differently. 
And that's the way it's meant to be told. And that's the way it's always been told from the very first time it was ever retold. So wishing everybody a happy Passover from the land we finally made it to. Till next week, everyone. Best Book Ever was produced by Ben Cooley and edited by Vera Blossom, and our theme song is Pitrouli by Hillel Tigay. You can listen to more of his beautiful music on iTunes and Spotify. And while you're there, why not subscribe to Best Book Ever if you haven't already. If you're interested in supporting this podcast and our work, you can visit us at ecar.org and donate or Venmo us at ecarla. That's I-K-A-R-L-A. Thanks a lot and see you next week.